What happens to an artist and a locally owned coffee house in a rapidly growing city when they encounter a for-profit developer? The events you are about to hear might surprise you. And this unexpected true story has implications not just for developers, artists, and small businesses, but for anyone concerned about the future of their community. I am Jeff Shulman, and this is a special episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. The story takes place in Seattle. Seattle's population has grown by 12.1% in just five years. And as of June 2016, there were 65 buildings under construction in the city. Pioneer Square is recognized as the city's original neighborhood and is where events unfolded that could change the future of communities around the country. The artist in the story is Jane Richlowski. I um, paint um, narrative images. Um, I use I, I scavenge images from um, mid-century advertisements, and I kind of rework them into new narratives. And I paint on um, pattern fabrics, and I um, integrate the pattern into the image um, as someone's dress or their furniture. And I really have been very interested in the spaces that the American dream takes place in, um, these kind of futuristic modernist houses where not just where people live their lives, but where we, we've projected our ideal of what the American dream is supposed to be as reflected in advertising. The locally owned coffee house in the story is Cherry Street Coffee, run by Ali Gambari. I'm originally from Iran and I came to U.S. in 1979. I used to be in the coffee business with a company called B&O Espresso on Capitol Hill in late 1980. In 1990, uh, well, I said 1990, we became partner on location on Capitol Hill in Broadway Market. And in 1992, I opened this location in Corner First and Cherry. And in 1996, I want to establish my own brand. So I just bought them out of this location. and. Cherry Street started in pretty much the same time, but I say 1998. But, do you know, I'm not chasing no money. What I'm chasing is knowing that we have a company that elevates the community we love, and that's what the excitement is to me, is just continues to do that. Go to a new location and elevate the community with that good energy that complements every community. And with that, you pretty much can become anything you want because you get connected with so many people based on love. So great thing just happens, you know? The developer in the story is Greg Smith, CEO of Urban Visions. Uh, Seattle native, uh, been working downtown for, God, let's see now, since 1980, and uh, watched the city grow for whatever that is, 35 years. And I uh, am involved in Seattle real estate in downtown. That's basically my sandbox, as I like to think about it. We're a local uh, real estate company in Seattle, and we uh, focus on doing sustainable development in downtown, uh, primarily focused on sites that I think are transit-oriented, and also just focusing on doing great architecture and uh, kind of mixture of uses. So I do residential, I do office, I do retail. Um, but it's I'm much more, I'm very inter- interested in placemaking. Seattle's an amazing community of um, food, music, um, God, you know, technology, business, but it hasn't, in my opinion, been very dynamic and exciting as it relates to architecture and placemaking, and that's been my focus because I think there's such an amazing group of talent here that is ready to blossom in that regard. The story began five years ago. 
So it's five years ago was um, when I was um, the so the super cheap studio in the you know in one of those forgotten corners that was in the middle of downtown that I had the 619 Western building. Um, we were all paying dirt cheap rent, and it, it feels like it was the last gasp of a big build that on that scale um, right in the middle of downtown Seattle. Um, and we we always knew the end was coming, and we always assumed the end was coming for development. You know, the owner was really uh, was um, was quite you know, open about that. But we got kicked out for the, um, because it was considered unsafe for the tunnel. Um, so we were actually evicted by the Department of Transportation. Though many artists lost their affordable studio space, Jane saw a silver lining. I think that there was this very emotional reaction to, you know, in the in the media and in the public about oh, the end of an era. And we were symbols of that. And unfortunately, what I observed was that we were symbols of something that wasn't necessarily who we were. And um, there was a lot of like starving artists in the garret kind of um, things going on in the media. That was the ima- everybody's image of us. And it was people would not read the whole article. They would just be like, oh, you guys got kicked out. You got booted out for the tunnel and got screwed on that. I'm like, no, actually, we got a bunch of money. <laughs> like- <laughs> what Jane did with that money five years ago brought her closer to her encounter with the for-profit developer, Greg Smith. So I used my money to stay in Pioneer Square and and, um, establish other studios that other artists could move into. My first lease was a five-year lease. And I was like, okay, I got this cheap rent now because we're in recession and because I had this money to to build it out. I was able to negotiate a little bit, you know, affordable rent. Um, But... I don't know what's going to happen in five, well, five years when I have to renegotiate this lease. I don't know what's going to happen. So basically the last five years for me have been around how do I stay? How do I, you know, we've built this great thing that came out of the ashes and it wasn't accidental. You know, the 619 happened organically and kind of accidentally because there was this like dilapidated building that a lot of people want to, you know, that we were like, oh, this is some cheap space. We'll, we'll stay. And it ended up staying for 30 years. But this, what I created was deliberate. And the other artists that came with me really felt like we had really deliberately created a community and that it meant something that we were in the middle of the city. And I got more involved with the community, um, with the Alliance for Pioneer Square and um, the uh, Pioneer Square BIA and all these other um, entities that were kind of asking the same questions. And so I got to hear from their perspective of like, yeah, we want to keep the artists here. What do we do? And so I was really like focused on that for the last five years. And um, frankly, I, you know, I saw all the prices go up and I saw, you know, people the city or whatever saying oh yeah gee that's happening but not you know not really not nobody was going to move fast enough for my for what I needed. Jane's work was memorable to the Alliance for Pioneer Square member Karen True. So Jane's story was so compelling because she came from the 619 Western building here in Pioneer Square when that building was condemned and all of the artists there were um forced to relocate, she took the entire second floor of the 110 Cherry Street building. It's a building that is such an important building because it's at the portal of our neighborhood. That is one of the places where people come to our neighborhood and that building has been in disrepair and kind of sad and need of, in need of love for a long, long time. And Jane Richlovsky had the master lease on the entire second floor of that building. 
and was doing lots of magic there with um, several studios throughout that floor to form 57 Biscayne. Jane had put an intense amount of time, money, and energy into creating 57 Biscayne for artists to have a place in Seattle's original neighborhood. However, toward the end of her lease, economic forces were working against her. Ali had seen Jane as a frequent customer at Cherry Street Coffee. He recalled, uh, Do you know, for her, I think she done well on negotiation of her rent, but at the end of the day, she knows that this market is continuously going to increase, which we already seen that happening, is ridiculous. This was no surprise to Jane. So I started thinking about that the very beginning, you okay. know, for the beginning of the five years. Okay. That is exactly what I was thinking about. Um, and I was, in my more immediate um, purview, I was thinking about what my my landlords were going to do because I knew they were kind of wanted to sell the building, but they weren't actively listing it. Um, and then I would kind of get word from my landlord. I'm like, so what's going on? And they would like, he's like, oh, there was some Korean holding company looking at it. I mean, they were just sort of like far flung ideas about who they should sell it to. A fact that would later alter the future of 57 Biscayne Studios, this building had significance to developer Greg Smith. And so that building, I've, um, when I first started working, uh, I worked across the street in the Lohman building. And I've, I've, I've always admired the architecture. And so, and I just love the architecture of Pioneer Square in general. And it's this great old historic building. It has this huge history. My father was in the real estate industry as a property manager, and he used to run that building 55 years ago. To understand what happened to Jane's 57 Biscayne Studios and the 110 Cherry Street building, one must first get to know Greg Smith. In the words of Karen True. Greg is a big deal here in Pioneer Square. Uh, Greg Smith is with Urban Visions and they are the developer of 200 Occidental. That's the building that's under construction as we speak where Warehouser will be moving later this fall. In the words of Ali Gambari. Greg and his company were the people that they leased my Cherry Street to me, the first one. And um, Greg and his brother and um, Mickey and their friend, or their partner, Jeff, they always come to Cherry Street and sit down exactly where me and you are sitting. And so they have coffee all the time. And I, we start building relationship. Me and Greg, seems like he had his eyes on me on the way you just go about living your life and running your business and the way you handle your customer. And so that relationship eventually made us to become partner. Um, as a business partner, and, um, do you know he's forty percent partner in um, Cherry Street Coffee House uh, because he saw something that energized him, and uh, he's always wanted uh, to tap into the community as a grassroots. This was a great um, avenue, not necessarily calculating, is both combination of right thing to do, but being in line about the community building because he's so focused in that. Karen also noted Greg's appreciation of community. Greg is savvy. He gets the whole community piece. He understands how all of these pieces fit together. So, um, and he's just a pleasure to deal with. In Greg's own words. So my whole life's been invested in Pioneer Square. I partnered with um, a very good friend of mine now, Ali Gambari of Cherry Street Coffee. And so we're partners in Cherry Street. Cherry Street started on First and Cherry. It's still there. And, you know, one of, the, one of the missions of Cherry Street is about, as we'd say, it's about love and community, but it's about creating community. 
And I love being involved in Cherry Street because every one of our, our locations is based on fitting into the neighborhood that it's in. And um, yes, the entities need to make money, but it's the true enjoyment to Ollie and I is about feeling the energy of those places as, as how they energize the neighborhood. As the artist's lease was set to expire and the owner of the building looking to sell, Jane was cognizant of a familiar narrative. I feel like the way that artists and their advocates or whoever, people that romanticize artists, always want, they want to set it up as the artist versus developer and like as this, um, oh, we got kicked out, the landlord, like there, there's this entity there that doesn't, they don't have a face to that is just like, oh, gentrification, oh, you know, and he's talking these abstractions and that that's bad and that's the enemy. And I'm like, no, there's not people involved here. Like who, you know, well, who, who, who owns the building? What do we, you know, what can we do with the resources we have to make it, um, to make, put people in control who care about it, you know, individuals who actually care. But who would care about the 110 Cherry Street building? Karen True had an idea. When I found out that the 110 Cherry building was available for sale, and I knew that Jane's mission in life and one of the next things she wanted to do was to show that art could play a role in the building of a community. So I just, I knew she was looking for real estate. I knew this building that she was in was becoming available. And I knew that it would be a big stretch for someone to just go buy a building. I was having coffee with Greg Smith and Ali Gamburi at Cherry Street Coffee one day. And we were talking about another project that they are working on and the actually the building where Weyerhaeuser is going in. And Cherry Street Coffee is across the street from 110 Cherry Street. And at the end of our conversation about the Weyerhaeuser building, I said, you guys, you need to talk to Jane Richlovsky. Do you know her? Because she wants to do something wonderful and you guys should team up. That building is available and you should really do something about it. What came next flipped the familiar narrative on its head. Um, so I, um, that was when I decided to make more, meet people that people, that, that artists would normally not hang out with, like developers, and um, found a way to buy the building. I just felt like I wanted to dig in, you know, that this was, a, this was a juncture where we're all asking this question. Like, this is a moment where we can all change something and make, make, to rewrite the ending and I was just determined to re all I can rewrite is my own ending um and it was really important for me to do that um not just because I wouldn't attach to my neighborhood and I wanted to stay there um but it's also in principle I think artists should be in cities and that's you know that we shouldn't just move to the next dilapidated place and keep moving further and further out I think it's important for for art and for cities and Greg Smith agrees Art, to me, free one's mind to um, visualize things that they didn't necessarily, they couldn't visualize. And so I think that when you lose arts in a neighborhood, it kind of loses one of, like I said, loses a, a bit of its um, creative soul. And I think that that's really what makes neighborhoods succeed, in my opinion, that I've seen where where they be, where they become so successful that they get sterilized 
and then they in a way they kind of in my in my world they fail I think that's why I love Seattle because Seattle is such a creative city and I think it really supports and encourages creativity I love Jane's thesis of um, artists aren't idiots they may not be they may not have been trained in business um, and this is my view of it this is I'm not saying that's Jane's but it's kind of what I took away from it which is God, they're, they're amazingly creative people. Um, and Jane's an incredible person with great energy. And her energy gives me great energy. B, the mission of let's create a place that artists can thrive and count on for long term, even though it's small. Um, I love that. And thus, a seemingly unlikely partnership was born. We have we so we started an LLC called Good Arts LLC. Um, we named it after these old. There's old photos of the building where there was an old. Um, there was a diner in it, the two story diner called Good Eats, and it says Good Eats on the side of the building, really big. So we, we called it Good Arts. It's the Good Arts building. Um, uh, Greg Smith um, and Ali Gambari, who owns Cherry Street Coffee. So Cherry Street Coffee is another partner in it because they're going to um, take over part of the part of the street level retail. We're going to take 3,000 square feet of what we're going to do with it, which is moving our Cherry Street headquarters there. And it's going to be more like Cherry Street public house because we're going to have beer and wine. Um, we're going to set it up so we can have a small venue of entertainment in there. And then between the second level, which is Jane runs, and we are hoping that even more artists to get on board as we have more vacancy. So it's going to be really focused we have to generate money to pay our mortgage and our improvement, but at the same time, when it comes to artists, we're going to be really conscious of making sure it's something that um, don't make uh, people's life um, hard by just having these high rents and so forth for the artists, which, like I said, Jane and um, Greg can talk about that more. But uh, we got an idea about the basement, which is Jane's idea again, bring it to the old era of jazz club or whatever that may be. Um, so it's lots of great opportunity, but for me, it's, I just want to do what I do, and um, it's the bigger energy of love has created this energy, but we had our eyes open to tab into it and bring it all together. Um, we're all majorly invested, um, and now it's um, just as a team, we're going to, to implement our vision, and what's most fun now is the vision is unfolding as we go. Jane came up with a great paint scheme for the exterior, and um, I think it's going to be absolutely, you know, jaw-dropping when it's done. Cherry Street Coffee is going to move into the corner, and we have some, um, I don't want to st steal uh, our collective thunder, because it's when we, but we're, we have some pretty cool ideas um, for what the basement will become. It used to be a theater, um, and then the upper, the second floor and the third floor. Second floor currently is all Jane, and in the third floor there's a there's a, a tenant there, and when they when their lease expires, we'll convert that to more artist studios, and so the things that we want to do to the building are just starting to take shape, and so I think the public and the and the community will just start realizing what is about to happen, and if I were to predict, uh, I think this project will be transformative to that general area and I think it's going to be um, you know a great entrance to Pioneer Square coming down First Avenue. Karen is excited for what the Good Arts Building can mean for Seattle's Pioneer Square neighborhood. I think the end result could be that it 
will be a great place for some great art. I think it will also be a wonderful place to see at the portal, at the entry to Pioneer Square. It's going to be great to, to be able to point to that building as an example of, of how arts and economic revitalization can work together. And those involved hope this story can mean much more. And I want to say I'm not, I don't want to be the exception. I want to be the model, you know, that I hope that other artists will get out of their comfort zones and make connections with business people and vice versa um, to actually take control. I mean, buying buildings is kind of the only way to go, really, you know, frankly, you know, that's, that's, that's the world we live in. And, and this is America, you know, you, you buy a house, that's the solution. Um, and, and, and actually be like, no, we can, we can own our cities, and we can control what we, what they're going to look like. And, and we guess we just have to like, start by saying having what the vision, by articulating that vision. And so that's, I hope that, other people will say like, oh, these people had a vision. They're not just reacting. They have a vision and they want to create something new. I want other people to do that rather than just be like, oh, I'm going to have to move in a couple years. I think it's a model that, you know, typically artists have been um, kind of relied, it's been relied on to government to create places for artists to survive. And um, I just don't think that model is, you know, if, as I think about sustainability, I, I called it environmental capitalism. You can be Greenpeace, but that I don't think in the end of the day that's the most pro- progressive way of preserving our environment. It's how do you make environmentalism succeed in a capitalistic way? Um, and so I think I think same thing. It's kind of the same theory with arts: is how do, do we work together as a community between um, business owners? like Cherry Street Coffee, artists like Jane, developers of real estate like myself. How can we not look at each other as um, individual silos, but how can we work and where we can make it a win-win-win? And so, um, you know, when I sat down with Jane, it's like, okay, we really agree on 90% of everything, so let's try to make it happen here. And I think it's a model that if it works, it can be replicated across country. Not, not that it would be our model to replicate because we're not trying to own anything. It's more like I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of means that um, get it, but they don't, they don't know how to make it happen. And I think there's a lot of people with a lot of creativity that maybe not have the means. But I think if you can marry those people, it's pretty powerful. What makes it special? Just the partners, man. It's just... You know, our neighborhood, our community, and the partnership that brought it together um, has elevated so much around it. I mean, do you know, a couple of things is going to happen. First of all, this is a model. I, I don't know how many other models are out there. So this is going to really trigger uh, idea in, through the developer that they need to start focusing on how to become and make a partnership like this. Because this is going to elevate everybody. And as far as the Pioneer Square, Pioneer Square needs more and more energy like what we are creating 
that for the people that they already been here, they are part of the community, like Greg and Pioneer Square, that's his love, you know. Jane and Steve is the same way. So you got the local excited about the neighborhood, doing the right stuff for neighborhood, and we know our challenges. So we are not worried about our challenges. We feel we, by us doing the right stuff for the community, we continuously, with the good synergy that is real, will make the changes we need to do. I want there to be other buildings like ours in, in downtown, but also in other neighborhoods where um, where profit's not the first um, the first thing that you want, um, that, that it's sustainable and the person who owns it and runs it makes a decent makes an okay profit off of it but they realize that there's something more at stake which is that they live in their neighbor you know that they they have to live in this community on a broader level there's a belief that the good arts building demonstrates the potential that is possible when people focus on finding common ground rather than demonizing others who are often viewed as opponents i'm a developer but i think developers are labeled as kind of um you know one step away from evil um, and that's not true. There are, there are clearly developers that are bad, but I think to be successful in real estate, but I also think to be successful in anything that you do, as my father used to say, if your goal is to make money, you'll fail. But if your goal is to follow your passion, you'll be rich. And rich doesn't necessarily mean money. Um, and so I think that, you know, I don't know how this is going to come back around to us. And I don't know how it's going to come back and make me richer. But it already is, right, in the, from the definition of, of fulfillment. But I also think that comes back to you in, in a monetary way. I think that um, for Cherry Street, for Good Arts, for Jane, I think that at the end of the day, we'll probably do better f monetarily. But that isn't our mission, you know? Uh, synergy and the certain level of miracle that is no other way can come together. Just imagine community-oriented um, entity like Cherry Street with the ownership that one of them is so focused on art and the art community as a whole that is most viable element of bringing people together and someone like Greg Smith that realizing that I want more grassroots and um, tab into my community in the way that I know no money can buy it. Whenever I'm challenged with needing love, I can easily step out to my community, and the love is really pretty much dances around me. Oh, God, we've gotten just so much um, uh, great feedback from our different worlds. You know, so, like, Greg and I came from, like, vastly different worlds, and I'm getting all this positive feedback from the art community and he's all his developer friends are like oh that's cool I want to do that and I'm like yes yes do that <laughs> please do that um, so that's exciting the good arts building the answer to the question what happens to an artist and a locally owned coffee house in a rapidly growing city when they encounter a for-profit developer a collaboration among individuals passionate about putting people before profit individuals who rewrote their own narrative by approaching their challenges and each other with an open mind. What impact will this have on other communities in Seattle and around the country? That is up to you. Let me know what the Good Arts Building can mean in your life using hashtag GoodArts. I am Jeff Schulman, and I want to thank you for listening to this special episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. I started the Seattle Growth Podcast with a curiosity of how residents, businesses, and city leaders are reacting to Seattle's rapid growth. My journey started with Stephen Abar and ended with the mayor of Seattle. In the 13-episode first season, 
I covered topics such as housing affordability, character and culture, transportation, schools, health care, emergency services, and more. Subscribe to the podcast and iTunes to listen to more special episodes before I release a second season of Seattle Growth Podcast. You could also visit the website, www.seattlegrowthpodcast.com.